All right, so in today's talk, we're going to look at how you, as someone who's evaluating whether to be in a church, you're already in a church, or you are a leader within a church, how to evaluate church leaders. Now, there's a lot that's been written about church leadership and a lot about how it's gone wrong. And I, I want to address how can we have something a little bit more tangible and discernible and actionable in a field which can be extremely vague and touchy-feely and that, that that's really not what we need to do because the Bible actually has instructions on what to do and also some very clear warnings. So the risks of it are numerous and Jesus calls out many of the kinds of leaders that he's like, this isn't really great. Now before I begin, before I continue, if you want references to the specific scriptures, Go into the show notes. That'll give you a link to the blog, which has an essay roughly on this same topic. As you know, this is very um, impromptu, uh, the way I, I, I present this. Uh, but it'll also have links to a lot of the reference scripture. So make sure you do that if you're really interested and you want to learn and understand this. So some may say, well, it's longevity. They've been at the church for a long time, and Fadi Balcom had probably one of the great a great sermon saying, you know, in church, there's often people who are there for who, who are for 20 years, but they're still first-year Christians. That doesn't exist in almost any other uh, discipline or industry. And the second one is that longevity can also be very procedural. They understand all the traditions. But other things he warns against, it goes, oh, yeah, someone who prays publicly, invisibly. They talk about generous giving. Um, they have... Um, you know, other things that are sort of very visible um, to the church. But I think that there's some very specific things, and I'm going to talk about five, which are actionable and discernible. And the challenge that you may see is that some of these take time, and some of these also need some intention around exposing that time. And all of that, I think, is good. So we'll talk about the first one, which is the ability for the person to be a sound teacher. This is very key. And I think it's very fluffy the way most go about it. And there really is no reason. If I wanted to um, sort of undermine the church, I would attack it on this vector and just try to keep it very fluffy. And I don't see any benefit to doing that. So here are a couple of very intentional layers that you as somebody within the church should be asking, have I encountered this person in this these contexts? And you, if someone is in a church that's thinking this guy is good, you yourself create it for yourself before you even put them forward. And then for somebody who is maturing as a Christian should be on their own thinking, can I do these things? Have I had the training or the self-study to do this? So the first one is prepared. Now, um, this can obviously be faked. You can do it with ChatGPT. I have a post and a talk about how anyone can write a uh, acceptable sermon with ChatGPT in 15 minutes or less. But I think spoken and written, something that's clear that involves some teaching, will show the intention. And it can be faked, but I think also for somebody who's sort of honest about themselves, they're in a candidacy, they'll recognize, I, I don't know this as well. This is the nature of scripture. My own journey was, oh man, I don't really know this too. How can I know this? 
and it became not class but my own diving in. If that person doesn't have this own ability to be like, I understand scripture, and boy, I got into it through so many ways. I didn't have to be spoon-fed it. I looked at it. I questioned it. I applied it. I can now offer something in a prepared format. That reveals so much. Paul Washer refers to elders as minors. They're constantly searching the scriptures for something they can share in a truth. The second one is interactive, meaning you're in a group setting. Ideally, it's one-on-one, and you can see an exposition and an application to the world outside of themselves in an interaction engagement. That ultimately will be what teaching is. Somebody sitting with a group of people and interacting in the way Jesus did, where they ask questions, and you ask questions of them, and you're interacting. The interaction part is important because in in an interaction mode, you have to have a depth of Scripture to pull out from in real time. And if you don't have that, then get it. Why? And the converse is if you're finding you're not having that with a leader or an elder, why have that person there? They are supposed to guide. If they can't draw on Scripture in real time, and I've seen some who are just, I'm not going to re- literally say, not going to reference Scripture here. There's a problem the third context is, can they be apologetic? One, the interactive may show scriptural knowledge, but apologetics is an ability to defend the faith. And, and people put a big weight on this, and you have to go to theology school. You don't have to go to theology school. Because you have to have the defending the faith on yourself. How do you make the justification to yourself? If this elder or leader, the only justification, I just believe. It's just what the Bible says. And they can't engage in apologetics. That is a problem. It's a problem that can be solved, but it's a problem of the heart. The one who is constantly preaching apologetics to themselves is more likely capable to extend it to others. And that's the kind of person that you want when it comes to teaching. And the last one is I call it real-world exegesis. There's a lot that's going on in the world. And the ability to exegete things that are happening in the real world through this lens and it's really exposing the wisdom of the world versus God's wisdom and show the foolishness of the wisdom of the world and how God's wisdom is seen as foolishness but ultimately showing a contrarian view of the world if you don't have a contrarian view of the world if your view is the same when you exegete the real world it's just the same Now, you can't, now it's not a judgment. Someone would say, well, we just stand by our faith because we're up against what it is. What is it that you're different against the world? If you don't have that, then you will conform to the ways of the world. And we know that that is a sign of a Christian. But how can you not conform if your, what's the other part of that scripture, your mind hasn't been renewed? And the way you can tell their mind has been renewed is seeing them exegete the real world. So I have some anti-patterns in here where it, it just left me very uncomfortable with the shallowness of the thinking. And I'm not going to spend time in here. I'm going to have actually a complete separate talk on this. One of which, which we'll talk about later, was revealed in their belief in the prosperity gospel. It doesn't take much. It's very easy to fall into that. Now, the second one is my favorite. I have a whole slew of content around this. Is the expression of their spiritual gifts according to Ephesians. 
So Ephesians has five spiritual gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastors and teachers. Some will try to add to this list, but it is within this scripture that many of the benefits to the church are, are given, uh, accrued, accrued from. The, gain, the, the purpose built for these benefits. Some will say my two pet peeves are administration and giving. Those are not spiritual gifts according to Ephesians. And I have more content that explains why. And it's very important to get behind this. Look at what Ephesians says are the benefits, what, why Christ gave these. It's equipping for ministry. Well, church equipped for ministry. It's edification of the body. If the church doesn't do that, then I don't know what it's doing. Knowledge of the Son of God. Unity in the faith. Resistance to false doctrine. Speaking truth and love. And growing up into Christ. All of those things, all of those things should be the goals of the church. But Ephesians 4 says they're achieved, how? They're achieved through these specific spiritual gifts. And so read my um, post if you want to see, how can I tell? How can I tell who's an apostle? It's, it's The development of it might be quite a bit, but the, the being able to tell right away, if you can't tell, how likely is that person to have one or more of those gifts? So apostle. It's a person to display apostle. Easy test on this. Ah, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to go through it. So a simple test for the apostle. It's, it's, this one is usually they're involved in a lot of things, but the easy, easiest test is just ask what other external Christian organizations are you part of or do you go to or you attend. They will be attending those. They may be attending too many, but, but if they don't, then they don't have the gift of the apostleship because they desire to connect with other apostles in addition to doing their own apostolic work. Second is the prophet. So this one is, do they present scriptural truth in their own lives at a potential cost to acceptance? They're more curmudgeonly. They are like, this is the truth. I don't know why we're not doing this. That is a powerful role. They value the truth that they try to wrestle with in their own lives. They can't live in disharmony with that. And they will examine behaviors within the church, not from a behavioral judgment, but how are we actually evaluating and living through the scriptures? The evangelist. Does this person rejoice in proclaiming who Jesus is? <laughs> These people, I love them. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus and that role and what he's done and who he is. There, there are a lot of Christians never will Jesus escape from the mouth unless they have to do the perfunctory. Yeah, and Jesus died for your sins. And now let's go back to, to God and what he's done for me and his blessings. Watch out. Watch out. Teacher, do they connect scripture for others in terms of how they live out the truth? Right? So unlike the prophet, which is corrective, the teacher tries to improve, edify. It's edifying. Hey, you can live more like a Christian in this way. You can apply it more by understanding the scripture. And then the shepherd. And this one I think is also super easy to identify and they can love and care. They are ones with the best bedside manner. You can just, there's some people that are sort of cold and hopefully they have something else. But they will reach out to the lost, the one out of the 99, you just know. Why compromise? There's some people you go through and they don't have any of these. 
that is a journey for them with God and probably a conversation with you. But if you walk through this, I've walked with through elders and I'm like, you don't have any of this. What do you do? Why compromise? Why compromise? What do you gain from that? History of fruitful discipleship. Now, this to me is a very easy indicator. It's muddled. It's muddled because of some controversy about what discipleship is. So I want to avoid the controversy. So don't don't let me don't pull me into the controversy. Listen to me about what the goal is. So this is an essential commandment. Right? We know we should make disciples of people in all nations. Has a person on their own initiative taken discipleship? It's their own initiative. Now what muddles it is a lot of people think, well, holding a small group is discipling. If you are a small group leader, you are a disciple. I, I, I think that's the point of debate, and I don't agree with it. But I'm going to get around it by saying, well, fine. How are they? How are they? Don't just take it at face value. Now, before I get to that, the, the reason why I'm cautioning is that is because um, small groups really are church programs and there's a class of behavior which is like oh it's a program I'll do it I'll participate in it that's not a qualification that's it's good you want people who do follow more than those who don't but there's also people who just in their flesh will follow the program and that's not what you want I'll talk about what I think actual discipleship should look like. And then you can choose to reject it, let's put it this way, by saying, but leading a small group is sufficient. I actually think discipleship is intentional relationships initiated by the discipler that are both high relation and high challenge. And they tend to be in very small groups, typically one-on-one. Think about it. You're going to be discipled which is growing. You are growing in your walk. The most profound way to do it is in a one-on-one relationship. Now, you may say, no, we can do it at mass. I actually do think there is means to do it at potentially at, at scale, but I, I just don't think you can do it without some small, small context. Now, let's say it's a small group. There are some small groups who are leaders, but they're really facilitators. They get everybody together. They do the coordination. Hey, that's great what you said. Hey, that's great what you said. Let's review the piece of paper that we got. You said that. You said that. You said that. Let's read it. What's everybody say? And pass the popcorn. That's facilitation, and it's valuable because it's encouraging community. These are these are horizontal relationships. Where it's about bringing people together, and you're having Bible study in a structured community. Here is different. A discipler is capable of rebuking and correcting teaching versus there are some who it's like, everything's acceptable. Oh, I heard you say that. That's great. I heard you say that. That's great. A discipler should be able to look, even if it's external material, and be able to lead people through a questioning that grows themselves is this completely acceptable? The second one is personal confession of sin, not just there's just their problems. How do they show Christ's power? There are some 
who are very closed people. And it's very hard for us to believe that they really have Christ's power if they never reveal a sin. Sin is not the same as problems. Oh, I don't like this guy at work. Oh, I have a health issue. Paul Washer does a a great job of like calling this out at many prayer meetings where it sounds like you're in a medical ward. But that's not the same as the confession of sin. And then clarity in the true gospel. Is there instruction? Do you have enough visibility that they talk about the gospel, which is different from a generic belief in God's existence and his laws? Many people and many churches get into a deep problem when they associate and it just goes as far as the existence of God. And if you follow what God does, things are good. Oh, God blesses me because I did something. That, those are true. Those are part of the Christian walk, but it is not the gospel. So that's why I think the one-on-one transformation is much better. And that's how you determine if there's fruitful discipleship. The third is the right relationship with money. And the reason why this is important is because of the sort of counterpoints to the world, we're supposed to have a different perspective with money. Mammon is not an abstraction. It is a spiritual force. And if in underneath there's still a struggle with mammon, you have now let somebody in who is not dealt with the spiritual force. And Andy Crouch, I think, did a really great way. This is a super easy litmus. If there's a resistance from the person or even within the leadership team, that's worth examining. And Andy Crouch talks about its generosity and transparency. I have even a stronger take in which we take a look at the tithe is should be viewed scripturally. Otherwise, it's just a regressive tax. So we'll talk about that really quickly, but I have much more in our series called Slaying Mammon. And really, if you are like me and you realize that there is risk of the prosperity gospel going through sort of this leavening, it's a small idea and it just will grow, then make sure you follow that. But here's a test. Ask them to share within, maybe it's just within the leaders, um, hey, what is your income? What is it that you're giving? What do, you, what do you need to live off of? And Andy really challenged this. 95% of the world, they're probably living below or just at, in, your, in, in many churches, kind of like me, you know what it needs to get by. And, and, and I think in a place like where we live, San Francisco, if you look at the census, it's like super low. It's like, I don't know, $100,000. But if you talk to any family of four of like, hey, can you get by on this? They, they couldn't. So I actually think, okay, fine. Let's use a worldly example across sort of like an agreement on what you need. So there was this Reddit that became kind of like very controversial, but they said, look, we have kids that have to go to summer camp. We have a one vacation a year. We're working two jobs. Uh, we want an option for private school, whatever. So, so they listed it all out in the camp at like 300,000 a year. And a lot of people went berserk, but I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. I'm like, Hey, it, let's call it 300, 350, whatever. If someone as an illustration has a million and lives there, and you're granting them generosity for giving the 10% tithe, that's actually not what the scripture says. And I think you got to expose that in transparency. 
let them ask. Like this isn't like, you know, witch hunt, but it's like, oh, well, the average for this, for this, all these things around 300,000 and you give up about 100,000. What, what's the other, whatever, 600,000 going to? Someone who says, I've got other things and doesn't want to show it. Mammon has a far greater grip than you are probably willing to acknowledge. Right? Do we want the widow's might where they're giving anybody who's living kind of like at the, we're getting by in a high cost of living, but if somebody's giving out of their comfort, listen and go through the scriptures on this. We'll talk about that. Um, the last one is a catch-all. But it does hint at, it is catching what I wanted to talk about, which is a life that demonstrates Christ's work in their life, in words and deeds. And I put an emphasis on Christ because there are many who go through life and it's about just God. It's generic. And if their statement could be held by a Jewish person, a Muslim, a different person, which is fine, right? That's, that's their thing. And all those reference God is powerful and is loving. That's not the same as believing in Christ. Jesus himself said a belief in Christ is sufficient for the demons shudder. God is part of it. But in the end, if we are Christians, we have to understand who Christ is and what that means. A common or famous, well, God blessed me. I did this and God blessed me with health. He gave me a promotion. He gave me these things. Listen carefully. There's also some who just say, well, if you did these things, then God would have blessed you because you did these things wrong. God is going to harm you. That's the law. But oftentimes that's mistaken because it's just under the um, context of uh, it's God. Let me give you an example. So I talked about the the prosperity gospel example. Do these things, you will be blessed. Make sure you give and you will be blessed. Follow these things and your marriage will be good. Follow these things and the promises. Promises are about present day things. Really press into that. And then the second one is, oh, if you do these things, your life is better. So I want, want to say those things are true. If we follow Sabbath, we are resting. There's, there's, no, there's no problem with that. But that's the law. You don't need Christ to believe that. So check with that. To me, that's very, very different. So if you, as you go through these, consider a person, either they're active in leadership, they're a candidate in leadership, you want to consider them, and just ask for each one of those and then ask yourself yes I have per first person evidence and believe this capability has been met by this person so pick spiritual gifts yes I have in first person evidence that they are exhibiting a spiritual gift I yes in first person believe that they cling to Jesus and the belief in the gospel in their life the second one is not yet I have an absence of evidence and probably need to learn more. Th this, this should be the most common, right? 
oftentimes there's not enough interaction. They're not in community. Or more likely, these contexts haven't been provided. Teaching across all four. No, I haven't seen somebody actually demonstrate apologetics in real time. I have not seen this person exegete the real world and communicate that. I have not been in an interactive um, um, teaching environment where it's been clear. That's a not yet. That is not a yes. And the last one is no. I have first person experience of the opposite. I'm unclear or I have seen a preference in deed or word for comfort, one's own comfort in the material things. I have seen over and over no indication of the spiritual gifts. I have seen poor teaching, right? That those are things that would perform. Hopefully those are more of the negative. This is far better than where you, if you are somebody in a congregation being asked to, well, decide whether you accept what has been decided upon by the leadership. This is not a good experience for you because the default in most churches will be just, well, I'm going to trust what happened and make a decision. You don't learn. You don't grow. You don't grow in your discernment. What is it that I'm looking for? And when this happens over and over and over, you have the leave-in effect. Small things get in, slowly kind of becomes more legalistic. The quality of the teaching starts to go bad. You don't have a full balance of the spiritual gifts across the leadership, which will, will ultimately damage it. Jesus isn't the front and center. It becomes something else. And it starts like yeast. So, take a consideration. These things are um, not, not to be taken lightly. You will be able to see what has happened downstream because that person is the person you can imagine. They have a random conversation with the lost. And if they're not equipped in these things, th- there might be an opportunity lost forever. They don't know the scriptures. And what, what do we know? Faith comes from hearing the word of God, right? How is conflict handled? So many churches can't handle conflict because the people in there aren't moving in a way that represents the gospel. They become legalistic. Don't make this an empty slot to be filled. Make this an opportunity to grow. If you want to find out more, there's tons of other ways that I kind of share how to develop this leadership and not just discerning. This is really primarily for discernment. All right, take care. See you next time.